0: Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm M.G. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at Talk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to Talk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email Talk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Happy to be here. Um, You guys are in for a treat tonight. Um, Karen B's going to tell her story, so take it away. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, I am very grateful to be here. I am a sex love and fantasy addict. I love the Sober Sisters meeting. It's been a huge part of my recovery, and um, I feel so grateful that I get to share my story here. Um, So I'm want to tell you what it was like for me uh, growing up, um, what led me to, to ask for help, what led me to realize that I was a sex and love addict, and then all of the gifts I've received by being a member of this fellowship and then what it's like today. So I'm gonna start from childhood. I, uh, was, I was born a very sensitive child. You know, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. And um, I, and there was chaos all around. Um, my father used to have pornography laying around the house and I just thought it was normal and wouldn't view it. I, and um, my mother was sort of checked out. When I was young, I unfortunately experienced some uh, inappropriate sexual um, abuse and it led to a lot of confusion uh, since I, I received a lot of neglect, I think I was starved for attention. And, um, and I really didn't know or understand the difference between sex and love. So as I got older and um, started you know, getting into an age where everyone has boyfriends, I remember very early on seeing a person who I objectified and thought that is going to be my boyfriend, and uh, I proceeded to manipulate my way into this person's life until we were going out. This is in high school, and um, and this person is really my first qualifier because I I thought I was in charge. This is how silent and you know how the book talks about sex and love addiction for for sex and love addicts is like a mental blank spot i thought i was making the decision to do something but i got swept away with this person Um he was an addict um alcoholic and drug addict in high school and he used to get in trouble with the law a lot and um you know i did i would do anything he asked me to do and he he sort of you know, manipulated me, but I did, I had my part into doing something illegal and I did it. And to this day, you know, I had to go to court and all of that. I have a criminal record because of my sex and love addiction. My family was furious and, you know, I was already the outcast, you know, the weird artsy sensitive one, but this didn't stop any of my behavior. It just, it's gonna continue to increase from this point because it was untreated. Uh, I did, you know, my parents did have me go to, like, you know, to counseling and, but I don't think at the time anyone was talking about sex and love addiction. So nobody really knew what to do with me. Um, So, you know, as I, I graduated from high school, I went to college I still in my mind thought this qualifier, I was still dating him. I thought that was still my boyfriend and uh, he had moved on and I just, I couldn't let go. I would, that's my fantasy part. It's which is such a big piece of it for me. Um, I kind of met a wild crowd in college and I thought, you know, I thought the purpose of, of uh, socializing was me getting dolled up, to attract somebody and to get sexual attention, I thought that was that was the point of going out. Um, I didn't really have conversations with people. I didn't. Um, I didn't really engage with anybody uh, in with any intimacy at all. Uh, there was just such fear there for me. Uh, so unfortunately, um, I ended up being the victim of a sexual assault. Um, so, you know, here, here's, uh, yet again, like something, something keeps happening to me. There's a pattern already starting. Uh, that devastated me. I, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was having blackout panic attacks. And um, then I, I tried the geographic cure a few times, met other qualifiers. Again, it's like I would latch on to somebody who I thought was going to save me or protect me. And unfortunately, I kept choosing people who I thought were attractive, which I thought were artsy, you know, kind of unstable, um, you know, emotionally uh, shut down people. And those people, they probably didn't even know what to do with themselves, you know. So today I can see my part, but I just kept repeating the same thing. And then I... You know, I graduated, barely scraped myself out of college and, um, you know, worked for a while. And then I met my my ex-husband, the the big qualifier of my life, who. When I met him, he was homeless, he was an addict, he was a drug addict, he was a sex addict, and he was an alcoholic. And um, he when he asked me to marry him, he pushed me. So within that you know, first day, something was wrong, but I couldn't see it. Um, I was that mental blank spot was so big. My fantasy of what I wanted him to be and what I thought, what I thought I had created him in my head was not the reality. And, um, so I did marry him. I stayed in that marriage for 10 years. It ended up in, um, being abusive and um, the only reason I left is because when the cops came, there was a female cop who told me to pack a bag and leave, and if I come back, she was going to arrest me, um, and I believed her, so I left, and I eventually got divorced, and um, I thought I would treat myself, and I decided to go back to grad school. Again, I've gotten no help for anything, so I go to school. This is So we're getting close to when I had my big SLA bottom here. Um, I wasn't doing well in school, and so anytime I have too much stress, my sex and love addiction pops up to try to rescue me, to give me an escape. And so um, being stressed and overwhelmed, I chose to escape with the online dating app. And I started, I joined every single one. I joined some invitation only, uh, you know, some, some chat room type places. And again, objectifying, like fantasy. In my head, I didn't see anything as being real. It, it's almost like I thought it was a game and I was getting little hits off of it. Um, so I went to, I was in another fellowship. I went to a meeting and i was miserable and one of the uh, ladies in that room asked me what was wrong she asked to speak with me and i told her a little bit of what was going on in my life and she said she wanted to tell me about something called slaa and if i would meet her the next morning so i agreed and um and she told me that I don't have to go out on a date. Cause I had a date lined up that night with a stranger who was already manipulating me, who was being very pushy. So this aggressive type that I seem to choose. And when she told me I didn't actually have to go on this date, I was floored. I didn't know that was a choice. I was so used to just being stressed and my brain, it's almost like my, my lid was flipped and hello, here comes the sex and love addiction to take me away. So when she said, I don't have to go, she told me go to a meeting. This is before the pandemic. So when you could go in person and um, the closest meeting to me was about an hour drive. And I remember complaining to her, you know, I can't drive an hour. I'm not gonna go drive an hour to go to an hour meeting and then turn around and drive back for an hour. She asked me, have you ever driven an hour to meet a qualifier? Well, yes, I used to drive three hours one way to go meet a qualifier for like an hour and then drive three hours back. So she convinced me and I, I decided to go. And in my first SLA meeting, I wore this ball cap, pulled down really low. I was like worried paparazzi would see me or, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking I was walking into. Actually, I'll be honest, I, I was really terrified. I thought I was going to walk into a room full of, of the perpetrators that I remember from my childhood, you know, I had all this like, uh, you know, fear in my head of who was going to be in this room. And in the back of my head, I kept thinking it was him that was the problem because every single one of the people that I named were all untreated sex addicts, (laughs) you know, who didn't want help. And um, so I just kept thinking, Oh, it's not me. I don't have a problem. It's always them. They're the ones that have the problem. So I went to my first meeting and I related to everything that was read, which scared me. I was so nervous. I was dropping. I think they had me read the 12 steps. I dropped the, the things on the floor. and But, uh, you know, I made it through the meeting. When I got home, I fainted. <laughs> it was almost like my body just shut down and, and couldn't cope with reality. And, um, you know, I was, I, it was really hard for me to, to attend the first six meetings, but I did. Um, So thank you. I see that time. Um, It was really hard for me to attend the the first six meetings, but I did it. I just kept going back. I I kept getting more clarity. And then the group that I was with had a women's only uh, book study, a 12-step study, and I joined it. And it took us about a year, but we went through the whole steps together as a group. And I experienced so much um, healing in that group. I think the most powerful thing that I ever uh, got was getting to see it written down by my own hand, the pattern that I've had all these years. I never knew that what I was doing. It was like I was doing the sex and love addiction unconsciously. It was like a, a knee jerk reaction to any stressful moment. It was my escape. And um, and so I finally got to see things written out on paper, and um, and I was shocked. And I tried to minimize it. And I, try, I always try to take myself out of the like as if I did something wrong. I, just, I when I first started, I refused to say I was a sex and love addict. I would say, oh, I'm a love addict. <laughs> like I didn't want to claim anything because I didn't like the name. <laughs> I didn't like the name. And um, but as I learned more, I came to believe that you know, what was my part and, um, and that by me admitting that I'm a sex and love addict, that's step one. And the, the miracle, the magic for me in this program happens when I work all the 12 steps. So, so that kind of, you know, I think that, you know, to be honest, it was my ego. I didn't have the humility to, to step up to step one. Um, it took time for me and that's fine that's what it was i and i also want to say around that time my sla sponsor insisted that i go to therapy which which i did and um, i needed trauma therapy uh, to get through some of the the issues i had because i don't think i could have worked the steps if i didn't have that professional help as well and and then as i worked through the steps um you know, I, I did come to believe that there was some, I, I think I came to, be, to accept the insanity that I get swept away with when I, when I am unconsciously acting, acting out. And um, so that was a huge, uh, a huge shift for me. Um, but then I think one of the most important things for me in SLAA has been um, having a, a higher power. Because I grew up around a lot of um, religiosity, and I had a lot of misunderstanding about it. So anytime I heard any words that, you know, reminded me of that religion, I immediately like a big, uh, you know, block came up. So my sponsor suggested I can choose anything to be a higher power, maybe the group is your higher power, you know, you could pick whatever you want. And you know, little by little, I was able to uh, have a relationship with my higher power, which is what helped me continue working through the rest of my steps. When I got to my fourth and fifth steps, I felt that it was going to be so horrible if I ever admitted to my sponsor the things I've done and, you know, with that, and and maybe that's why it's so special to be part of this fellowship that everything I shared with her, she just nodded and said, yeah, i did that too <laughs> which you know was just first of all it let me know i was in the right place and you know and it helped heal me of some of that that shame and um you know i'll tell you i did have a, a another miracle moment when i got to working my ninth step um, where i had to make a, an amends i had been at work And there was this man who I had been paired up to do a team project with. And he was being, you know, kind of touchy-feely with me. And I wasn't saying anything, even though I was uncomfortable. And then towards the end, he suggested we do something um, work-wise, not sexual, but work-wise that was, was grounds for immediate termination, like basically cheating the company and and I didn't want to, but I just went along with him. So here is again, like same thing I'm doing as a teenager. Like it's almost like my brain shuts down in if I'm not actively working a program and and I just kind of got swept away by this person. I wasn't I didn't I don't think I had bottom lines that I was following at the time. I don't know what happened, but um my sponsor said, you know, you have an opportunity to make this right. You can be honest with your boss and tell the truth even if it means you might get fired and as scary as it was you know we prayed together about it i called my boss i told her the truth i told her my part i didn't tell her he made me do this or whatever and she and her reaction was what you did was wrong and if you ever do it again you know you'll be fired and then she told me that she had gotten a complaint from another woman something similar. And then she said, you know, I I'm going to make sure you never have to work with this guy again. So she moved me to another, you know, I wouldn't have to work with him. And then she gave me a raise. <laughs> and then um, when I left the company, it, you know, cause I moved, then she told me that I was her favorite employee. And because I was honest with her, I think mean, talk about miracles. Like when, when I had gotten off the phone with her, I was just crying. And my sponsor was like, well, get used to it you're going to have more miracles, you know, this is how it is, and um, when you work the steps, things happen, and we don't have an explanation, and, and, you know, me, and with this whole coincidence, oh, that was just a coincidence, oh, yeah, she would have done that anyways, like, all that trying to belittle or minimize, you know, the spiritual experience is, uh, I'm done with that, <laughs> um, you know, it could because for me, like, that's the 10th step, I have a 10-step buddy from SLAA, And every morning we, well, we started off texting each other our 10 step, but it's kind of evolved into something different. So what we do now is we, we text each other every morning, our gratitude. So in a way it's like kind of what we want rather than what we're struggling with. We still attach our 10 step to it, but we have like what we're grateful for. And, you know, we become such close friends. It's such an important part of, of my recovery. And um, and for me, the 11th step, working my, um, my 11th step with prayer and meditation is, you know, I, I actually took a lot of meditation classes. I couldn't get the meditation thing down because I'm very analytical. I'm always in my head. Um, and what I've come to like to find works for me is kind of like that moving meditation, combining the two together. Um, but what it really is for me is it's sort of finding that little space in the all the thoughts that go into my head all the time so that I, I could have a little moment of clarity to let intuition come in. Because if my head is just buzzing with information, I have no room to listen to my higher power. Uh, because every time I listen to my higher power, something wonderful happens. And um, So I try to do something every day that keeps me. Uh, grounded, um, and for me, like the twelve step, you know, that's carrying the message. I got to be a sp- a sponsor for a few ladies in SLAA, and you know, and I'll be honest, where I'm at now, I I did part ways with my sponsor, so, and I don't feel comfortable sponsoring someone when I'm not sponsored, so I am not currently sponsoring any women in SLAA. I'm still looking for a new SLA sponsor. I do have a sponsor in my other program. But um, so that, you know, that part, I I try to be of service in how I can, um, you know, I used to be part of intergroup in my other SLA meeting and, you know, I, I do what I can, but I'll just end with this, that, you know, when I first came to SLAA, I was not clear-headed and I remember everybody talking about working the steps and it seemed like so abstract, like, what do you mean working the steps? How am I supposed to do that? Do you mean... Like, am I good? Is there a checklist? You know, are you going to give me the the cliff notes on how to do this? And I think, you know, for me, how it looks is, yes, I'm working them literally and spiritually at the same time. So even like coming to a meeting, you know, when I'm in a meeting, the 12 steps are, are being worked here, you know, just by being here, you know, is admitting that, you know, we're powerless over sex and love addiction and you know, it goes all the way through being able to speak up, you know, that's kind of like your fourth step. Other people listening to is your fifth step. So the program is so complex and so layered that, you know, it just works. It, it works without me having to force it to work. So um, I'm just I'm, I'm really grateful for everything this program has given me. Um Uh, The last thing I'll say is the bottom lines. Uh, I when I did do the bottom lines pamphlet and actually set my bottom lines, that really saved me uh, so many times. I did recently have a slip last month, but because I I come to this sober sisters meeting, you know I have another committed meeting as well for this program. I go to my other program meetings because I'm actively making SLA part of my life, that was a little blip. I didn't end up, I didn't end up uh, doing anything that I would feel regretful about. And um, thank you, I'll, um, I'll just wrap up now. So what I've what I've gotten for this program, I just don't have the, you know, I don't have the words to say, to express how grateful I am. This program has truly saved my life because I just, you know, kept choosing one abusive person after another, um, I don't want to even think about where I would end up because it's, it's just not my path anymore. And, um, my relationship with my higher power is my priority. And, um, and I really just love this program. I love all of, all of the women here. I'm just so grateful that I can think of myself as a woman of dignity and respect and If you're struggling if if you have a story that seems you know similar uh to mine or maybe not just know that you are welcome here and you will not be judged you know i've been welcome here with open arms and there's probably somebody here who's had same experience as you so you know my ego didn't want me to be here uh embarrassed ashamed but i'm so glad i'm here um i have had just blessings upon blessings and so with that i'll end and thank you for letting me share uh, i'm just i'm truly grateful to be uh, a member of sex and love addicts Anonymous. thank you that's it for this month's speaker meeting stay tuned to sober sisters talk for next month's speaker thank you